Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning to worship in the Word of God and worship in spirit and truth. Um, I hope that your week has been well by God's grace, and I can assure you that whether your week seems up or down this next week, it will still be well by God's grace. Okay? Well, let's pray together before we open up the Word of God this morning. Precious Father, Lord, we Lord, come before You this morning and we approach Your throne of grace seeking mercy, seeking help, Lord, in our time of need. And God, right now, we, we, are, we are needy. We are always a needy people because we are in absolute need of You every moment, every second of every day. And Lord, I pray that as we open up Your Word, the great need of this moment is the illumination of Your Holy Spirit, that You will give us insight into Your Word. You will open up the living truth and plant it deeply within our hearts. That, Father, our lives would be transformed by Your Word. So, Lord, help us today. Help us to hear what the Spirit says in James 5, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. God, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Well, if you've got your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn to the book of James. Again, I want to pick up in verse 7. James chapter 5 and read down through verse number 11 of James chapter 5. I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you would like to. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and latter rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is God's Word. You may be seated. I would drop as a title over James 5, verses 7 through 11, God's Word to the Suffering Christian. God's Word to those of us that are going through sufferings of various kinds, afflictions, troubles, trials, so to speak. Um, People sometimes ask, why do... Well, you hear the question like this. Why do good people suffer? Well, let me just make something clear. There's no one good, no, not one. 
Okay, I don't like that question. But let me change it a little bit. And sometimes people ask, why do Christians suffer? Why do Christians suffer? And, and my response, I don't always say this, but my response in my mind, mentally, I'm thinking, why not? Why, why, why not? We, Christian, did not get an exempt from suffering card the more moment we were born again. We didn't get a get out of affliction card. Um, we are not exempt from that. And when I think of the pain and the sufferings and the afflictions and the trials and the temptations that often accompany the lives of very faithful believers, the Holy Spirit often directs my mind back to the writings of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'd like to just read these to you right now. This, this to you from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. Listen to these words. These, these words are very sobering. Um, Peter writes, he says, Beloved, so we already know, by the way, that he's writing to those that are Christian. He's writing, he said, Beloved, he said, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. And some of you stop and think, Well, what's he drinking? Listen to him. Okay? He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian... Do you hear that? If any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let us suffer according to God's will. And entrust ourselves, our souls, to a faithful Creator while doing good. Wow. That's pretty sobering words there. That's where my mind often goes when I hear that question. Because listen, guys, sufferings and afflictions, they're just a, they're part of life. They are a part of life in this fallen, corrupt sin-ravaged world that we live in. They are just part of reality. It is what it is. And senseless as some suffering may seem, listen, it does not, you think, wow, that seems, this is tough. But it does not escape the boundaries of God's redemptive purpose. Because listen, there's redemptive purpose in it. There's God glorifying purpose in it. There's saint satisfying 
purpose in it. There's Christ-exalting purpose in it. There are good reasons in it. And the suffering of this life is but a moment and will not compare to the eons of eons of eons of infinity in our eternal existence to come. And we got to remember that. Well, today we are immersing ourselves in James, James chapter 5. And in this particular section, James, matter of fact, the entire book of James, James was writing to a group of Christians that understood the, what it meant to suffer. They understood what it meant to go through some tough stuff. Matter of fact, the letter of James, if you'll think back, oh, a year and a half ago, I don't know when we started going through James, but if you'll think back to James chapter 1, it opens up with that sobering statement, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Wow, it sounds like he's been drinking whatever Peter was drinking. All this joy in the face of trial. Not because of them, but in the face of them, he's telling them to be joyful. Now, what kind of trials were they facing? What kind of sufferings were they enduring? What kind of afflictions were upon them? Well, I, I, can, I only have liberty to speak of what we have here in the text of Scripture. And if you'll think back through the book of James, there have been quite a few that have, we could note that we know when he starts out telling them to count it all joy, we know some of the things he's talking about. Well, if you go back to chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, we see that they were suffering with the internal battle of temptation. They were suffering with the internal battle of temptation. You can go to uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and you see they were suffering with the degradation of social prejudice there in, in their congregation. You can see in chapter 2, verses 14 down through 16, they were suffering with the roadblock of unregenerate church membership. They had people amongst them that would say they believe in God, but they believed like a devil, and they didn't do anything but cause problems in the church because when the church, the saints, are wanting to go in one direction, those that don't have the Spirit are trying to pull them in another direction. It was just a problem. And it's that same way today in any church, anywhere today. But they were dealing with that. They were suffering. If you go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, they were suffering with the poisonous venom of unbridled tongues that were always talking and piercing and gossiping. You see, they were suffering from the cancer of worldly wisdom in chapter 3, verses 14, all the way. It still talks about it over chapter 5, verse 6. You can see that they were dealing with, if you go to chapter 5, verses 13, all the way down to verse 18, they were suffering with physical, emotional, and spiritual sickness. You can see at the end of the book in chapter 5, we haven't got there yet, but we will one day, I promise, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, they were suffering with the intense sadness of having brothers and sisters that had been right there with them all along the way, and now they were wandering from the truth, turning their backs on the Christian faith, and leaving the God that they thought they had loved. And it was tough. The original recipients of the book of James, they were quite acquainted with suffering and afflictions. They understood it. 
That is, and I only tell you that because I want you to understand, that is the life situation in which the Holy Spirit speaks James 5, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 through the pen of James. That is what's going on. Now, what does the Spirit say to them? What, and what does the Spirit say to you? What's He saying to me? What's He saying to us? Well, the Holy Spirit does basically two main things in this text. He gives commands that we are to obey in the face of our sufferings. And then He gives us reasons to encourage us in our obedience to those commands. Now, that's not my two points for the morning. Because we're only going to deal with one of them this morning. And that is the commands that He gives us. And then Lord willing, next week, we'll look at these encouragements within this text that He gives us to help us obey those commands. But there, there are some commands here. There are really three commands that He gives us here in this text. And I know what some of you are thinking, why would He give us commands to obey in the midst of our suffering? Does He not understand how hard it is what we're going through and now there's something we've got to do? <laughs> yes. And I would remind you of why He gives you commands in the face of sufferings. I would, I would remind you of Psalm 119, verses 105 through 107, where the author there wrote these words. He said, Your Word, talking about to God, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn on oath and confirm it to keep Your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to Your Word. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Don't let the devil trick you into dreading commands to obey in the face of suffering because the righteous rules of God give light to our dark path. And when we're going through sufferings and stuff, our vision gets all skewed and it's hard for us to see and have right perspective. But the Word of God, it brings light to our dark paths and it helps us as we walk down the road of affliction and it will be a means of fresh life for our easily discouraged hearts. And these commands specifically will help us keep a right perspective as we're walking through what we're walking through. There are three things I see here. Three commands I see in this text. Here they are. And then we'll talk about them. This is what you got to do. I mean, everybody wants something to do. Here's, here's what you can do. Number one, be patient. Be patient. Number two, establish your heart. You say, what does that mean? We'll talk about it. And number three, you ready for this? Don't complain. Oh my. This may take a while this morning. No, I'm kidding. All right. Now let's think about this. Be patient. Verses 7 and 8, we see this. The word patient appears several times in those verses, but twice in specifically 
we are given a command to be patient in suffering. And this is the first thing He tells. This is the primary command He gives. This is the first thing He says. Be patient. The Greek term that's translated patient in English, in the English, most of your English translations, it's a word that means be long-tempered. Be long-tempered. It, it reflects an attitude that will hold a person back from a hasty action. Or reaction. Because you know, sometimes when it seems like the world's falling apart, what do we do? We've got to immediately do something to take it. We just, we just react rather than be patient. We react hastily rather than being patient. We jump to conclusions rather than being patient. We think we got all the answers rather than being patient. The text says be patient. Be patient. It's the same word that Paul used over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 where he explicitly tells us be patient in affliction. Be patient. Be patient. If you want to rise above the gravity of the circumstance of your suffering, you must be patient. You say, but pastor, this hurts. Well, God says, be patient. You say, but pastor, this has got to stop. This has got to end. I can't go through it anymore. I can't put up with it anymore. And God says, be patient. You say, but you don't understand, Pastor, I've been sick for a long time. I need to be healed today. No, I needed to be healed last week. I'm tired of dealing with this. And the Lord says, be patient. You see, my friend, patient endurance in tribulation is key. It's key for our spiritual well-being. It's key for our faith to be strengthened. It's key. It's important. Now, perhaps you've heard the statement, don't pray for patience. You ever heard that? People say, don't pray for patience. Well, I'm glad I don't know who said it out there, but can I just go ahead and tell you that is an absolutely absurd statement. <laughs> it's absurd. I would, even, I would even argue it's satanically absurd to not to, to think, oh, don't pray for patience. You know, if you, if you pray for patience, the premise is that that just means that, well, God's going to put you into something real tough. To teach you that patience that you prayed for. And that's not thinking rightly. That's bad theology. It's unbiblical theology. You know? Don't think like that at all. Um, it's, it's, here, let me tell you why that's false. I'm going to give you two reasons. First of all, God doesn't teach patience. Not to His people. God doesn't teach patience. 
Patience is not this human virtue that we develop, Christian. This patience that we need is a grace gift from God. Yea, oh, not really even a great gift, but it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if we've been born again, having believed in Him, we were marked in Him with a seal, the precious Holy Spirit, guaranteeing the promise to come, if I might plagiarize the words of the Apostle Paul in Scripture. I wish more preachers would plagiarize Paul and Peter rather than some pastor down the road. What I'm saying is I'm just feeding you Scripture. Okay? And what I want you to hear is that you have the Holy Spirit. And you have, listen, you've got all you need for all the patience you will ever need already, Christian, inside of you by virtue of the fact you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we must learn to do is walk in what we already have in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So you don't really have to ask for what you've got. Okay? It is in you by virtue of the Holy Spirit residing in you if you are born again. Now, secondly, you don't need to fear. Another reason why that's a crazy statement to run from is, is not only is it an off-the-mark question, but really... The very thing that people fear is nothing to really fear at all. Um, don't fear that wanting patience in your life. Don't feel like, well, that's going to be a trouble magnet. It's just inviting trouble in my life to want patience in my life. No, it just means you want to be more like Christ. It's not that you're really wanting anything bad. But I've got news for you. Can I give you a prophetic word? Trouble's coming anyway. Whether you want it to or not. Trouble will still find you. Trouble will be there. But as you suffer, as you suffer, it cultivates the seed of patience planted in you by the Holy Spirit. And the more you exercise the fruit of patience and suffering, the more at rest and peace you'll be in the storms of suffering and affliction when they blow across your, the, 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 the landscape of your life. You will. So, what's he tell us? Church, he says, be patient. He also says, there's a phrase here in these verses that I've read to you. He says, to establish your heart in verse 8. Establish your heart explicitly. He says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What is that? What does that mean? Well, that phrase, establish your hearts, to establish your hearts... It is it, what it means contextually is it is a call to stand firm in your faith. Peter explicitly tells the saints to do that over in First Peter chapter five when he says um, to them that you are talks about how you're to resist the devil standing 
firm in your faith. That's another place where it is really to be establishing yourselves. And what does he say on down a few verses? He says, don't be surprised by this because your brothers throughout the same world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Same kinds of sufferings. So we want to we stand faith. We want to we stand firm in our faith. And it, it works in tandem really with the other command being patient because establishing your heart fosters a bent towards being patient in suffering. The more you are established, firmly settled, resting in your faith, the, the more you will be leaning toward being able to be patient. Why will you be able to be patient? Because being established in your faith is like an anchor that holds you down when the storms of suffering and affliction and the trials are blowing across your life, you're able to do it. They work hand in hand. Now, the Spirit is saying through James, rather than being in a state of confusion, tossed to and fro by the waves of affliction and the stormy seas of suffering, He is saying to you, you need a settled firmness an immovability in your heart. And that is in Christ, whom you have come to by faith alone. Now, on a practical level, how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me offer you some suggestions. First of all, remember who you were out of Christ. You, you remember who you were out of Christ? you remember who you were before the Lord entered your life? Remember what you were, and I tell you to remember what you were so that you can be confirmed and being sure of what you're not. Okay? So, remember who you were out of Christ and then rest in who you are in Christ. Rest in your identity. Rest in who you are. Saint. You say, but I'm a sinner. Now, you, yeah, but you're a saint now. You're righteous as Christ is righteous. You are, you are holy. Why? Because you, you are now transformed. You are justified through the blood of the Lamb. When the Father looks at you, He does not see you as you are, as you were in your undoneness. He sees you in the perfect wholeness of Christ. Well, you've got to know that. That's called gospel. Good news. Euangelion. That's the Greek term for gospel. It's, it, that's, that's, that's awesome truth. So remember who you were out of Christ, rest in who you are in Christ. Then I would tell you also this, having done that, then realize the surety. And I'm using the language of Peter. The surety of your calling and election. In other words, be sure of your calling and election. And the more you think about who you were out of Christ and who you are now in Christ and the change, you'll rest more in your calling and election and know that it is sure. And if you don't like that word election, take it up with Paul. Well, Peter in that case. All right? I just use Bible words. Y'all can have the fights in the end squabbles about what this means and that means. But, you know, it is what it is. Now, also recognize the return of Christ. He's coming. 
Recognize it. He tells us, if you go back up to when he talks about being patient, what did he do? He said, be patient for the, the Lord is at hand. And that is a reference to the fact that His, his coming is, is at hand. And folks, his, his coming is at hand. And my goodness, if it was at hand 2,000 years ago, you can be sure that it's certainly closer at hand than it was when James wrote that. But it's at hand. And so you should be eagerly awaiting for the glorious appearing. But you say, how does that help me be firm and established in my faith. Well, I would tell you, you, you remember it for reasons like what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 in verse number 18 where he said, For I consider that this present suffering, present what? Present suffering, because they're going through stuff. They're dealing with suffering. He says, For I consider not this present suffering worth being compared with the glory the glory that will be revealed in us who are the children of God. My goodness, do you you get that? Because you see, when Christ reveals, His glory will be manifest in you and you shall be made like Him as He is, not deity, but talking about the way Adam was to be before the fall. And you will be in the perfect image and likeness of Christ And my goodness, that is the pleasure of the soul. And to know that that is coming, what you're going through right now doesn't compare to what's coming. The future grace and His sovereign salvation has already accomplished for you. It's as good as there. Paul said, Romans chapter 8. Let me read to you something you said in Romans chapter 8. I love this. Oh, let me read you some language. Oh, it'll scare some of you. I'm not really concerned. It'll really make some of you be glad that Paul wrote it. You'll be glad that I noticed it. Listen to what he said. Because what we're talking about when we're talking about the glory being revealed in you, that glory that is revealed in you is what we call glorification. That is when we are glorified. Now listen to these words. Verse number 30 of Romans 8. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, here it comes. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Did you pay attention to just what happened in that text? Keep in mind, glory to be revealed, future event, Christ coming, but every single one of those words, He takes back your salvation to the origin of eternity past. And He talks about how there was a time that you were called, and that's past tense for you. And He talks about how you were justified. That's past tense. That's what happens when you are born again in real time. And you are justified, made as if you just have never sinned. But then He says those whom He's justified, and those whom He's called, and those whom He's predestined, He says He's also glorified past tense, and it ain't even happened yet, but God writes it as if it is a done deal. My goodness, that'll make a Baptist shout. Hallelujah. Let that reality, that immovable reality be like an anchor that will take you and establish your heart so that you are not moved no matter what's taking place in the moment right now. He's got you. 
He's got you. Know that. Oh, my goodness. So be patient. Establish your hearts. Number three. Don't complain. Don't complain. Verse 9. In other words, don't grumble. Don't complain. Now, the word, in other words, he's talking about don't complain and get irritable with your other brethren there. But the word here that's, that it's being translated grumble or complain, depending on your translation, it, it expresses these inner feelings of dissatisfaction or bitterness over your circumstances. Guys, regardless of the intensity of suffering and affliction, complaining about it, complaining about it, grumbling about it, it only intensifies the suffering. It only complicates an already difficult and complex situation. Complaining is doing nothing for you. Complaining, especially in this context, comes from bitterness. And let me tell you about bitterness. Bitterness not only affects your face, but bitterness can spread like a cancer amongst a body of people and affect their faith. Don't complain regarding your circumstances. In your suffering. But the human spirit, it gets easily irritated in storms of suffering. We become irritable sometimes in our sufferings. And if we don't watch, we become vessels of grumbling rather than His glory. So, in view of the human tendency, is there any practical things I could suggest to you to help you? Obey the command to not complain. Well, first of all, I think it's important to remember the nature of we, the saints. Um, and, and what I mean is, is we're having to be commanded to not complain because we can be prone to complain. So be aware of that. You know? So you can be on the... Um, be proactive in realizing that, hey, the minute you feel this, this rising up in you, you put it down and put it out. Um, recall the response of our Christ in the face of suffering. How did He do? Because we want to be like Him. How, how did He respond in the face of suffering? Well, going again to First Peter, let me read to you um, verses 20... 21, 22, 23, and 24 of chapter 2, 1 Peter. Um, this is how the Lord was with His suffering. For listen, He says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it that you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For it is to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. 
He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. What did He do? He entrusted Himself to the Father as we must entrust ourselves to the Lord in the face of our suffering. And then... Christian, you got the Holy Ghost in you. you got the Holy Spirit within you. Rely on that Spirit to tame your tongue. James already talked to us about that two-ounce slab of trouble that some of you got. All of us have. Okay? And it's like a raging fire. The only thing that can tame that tongue is the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to rely on Him. We've got to rely on Him. Well, guys, now you see why next week we'll look at the other part of this passage and look at the encouragements that He gives for obeying these commands. And that we will do. But as I close, let me say to you, whatever your need is this morning, you respond to what the Word of God is calling you to do and how it's it's demanding you to respond because truth God's word is truth and truth it demands a response and you will respond it's just a matter of how you respond you will either respond rightly or you will respond wrongly and so whatever that right response is I pray that you will react in that way if today it is you really the Holy Spirit has made you aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit's not even inside of you and He's brought a great conviction upon your life and upon your sin and you're aware of the fact that, you know what, I've been in church all this time and I have never been born again and I want to understand this thing called the Gospel. Well, let me begin that conversation here in just a minute. But most of you, I dare say, have been born of His Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is speaking specific things to you out of this text. And if it demands a public response, I'm here for you to minister to you during this time. As Angie comes and plays, and Gary, I'll ask if you will come and you sing, and I'll be down front to minister to you in any way that